0: person who prayed with me just didn't really know how to lead me in the right prayer or something. I don't know. Maybe they prayed to big boy Jesus and I prayed to baby Jesus or something. I'm not quite sure. And, uh, you know, but, there, but we do have these experiences in life. And even as a Christian, even as a follower of Christ, many times we can have experiences that we come to church and we hear somebody preach a message and we're like, man, that sounds awesome if I just could connect, if I had some connection to that. But that just doesn't seem real for me. And so I want to just give you a couple, uh, you know, a, a couple of, of maybe musings of our heart, those questions sometimes that maybe we don't want everybody else to know, but I believe they're very real questions. Which, so this would be one of them, which would be uh, if I'm really saved, why am I dealing with this? You ever had one of those moments where it's like, if I'm really saved, I, I mean, like, I think I love Jesus, I think I love the Lord. But why would I act or think like this if that were true? Like maybe I don't really. I want to help you answer that question this morning. You know, here's another one. Why am I still struggling in this area of my life? Man, I've got this sin that's been hanging around and I just can't seem to get past it. Why? Like what's the deal? Am I really saved or do I need to go get saved? I mean, these are some of the questions that we wrestle with. Here's another one. If I really loved God, I wouldn't have thoughts like this. I wouldn't be tempted. I, w- I wouldn't have these things going on in my life. Here's one that I think is pretty common, and yet we all have probably thought it at some point in some variation, which is, I thought when I got saved, my problems were going to get better. <laughs> Anybody ever had that thought? Like, man, I, I, like, I committed my life to the Lord, and everything seemed like it fell apart. Like, Jesus, this is not what I signed up for. I thought you were going to help me. Right? And so many times we can get caught in those traps simply because we don't understand that God is actually a God of process. And so this morning, my title, if you want one, here you go. And it is, so this is it. I am, I'm being, and I will be. So I am. I am being, or I'm being, and I will be. You're like, what in the world does that mean? I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. Amen. That's actually scripture. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to give you a. So, if you're a a Bible flipper, you might just want to close your Bible this morning and just start writing, because I'm going to give you some scriptures this morning. Because you're like, I don't know about this. That sounds. I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to show you scripturally. Because there's a process. And and so here in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, now again, the Apostle Paul, a Christ follower, somebody who loved God, someone who, I mean, you go read throughout the New Testament what Paul went through and what he endured to preach the gospel, it's pretty astonishing. He was shipwrecked a couple times, he was beaten multiple times, and yet he would never renounce his faith in Christ. He was not a fair-weather believer. Quite the opposite. He was very war-worn and war-battered. And yet he continued to stand. And yet he even has this same kind of struggle. And in, starting in uh, Romans chapter 7 verse 21, the apostle Paul writes and he says, I have discovered this principle in life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody identify with that? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. We could all raise our hands like, man, I knew I shouldn't have done that. But why did I do that? Like, you're like, what's wrong with you? Get your stuff together. You know, I mean, it's kind of that deal. And he goes on, he says, I love God's law with all of my heart. So even though he recognizes that, man, I want to do what's right, I still screw up, but I know in my heart that I really do love God. I love his word, but yet I still have these struggles. He says in verse 23, he says, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. That's an, your mind is your soul. Now, so for understanding this morning, you have to understand this. You are not just... Like me, I'm not just blondish, brownish hair with blue eyes. That's a part of me, but that's not the actual eternal part of me. I'm a pasty white guy, right? So that's the external side of me. But the actual real part of me, the eternal part of me, the part of me that will never die is actually my spirit man. So I'm not just a person who has a spirit. No, I'm a spirit who has a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and I happen to live in a body. Like when you breathe your last breath, it's not the end of your existence. It might be the end of your existence on this planet, but it's not the end of your existence. Why? Because your spirit man will not die, it will not die. It will live on for eternity. It's the most godlike part of us. And so we have to understand this. And so, but what he's talking about here, he says that there's a power at work within me. Oh, that's against what? My soul, not my spirit, my mind, my thoughts, my emotions, that my processes. He says, Man, there's this power at work within me. He says, This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Well, wait a second. I thought I got saved. You did. Praise God you did. Praise God I did. You did get saved. But how many of you realize that we still have areas of our life that have not been redeemed yet? Like, wait a second. I thought Jesus did it all. He did. His work was finished. It's done. He can't do anything else. He has done everything he can possibly do for us. And salvation is is a fixed thing in all of eternity. Now, I'm going to give you some context for this because I can already feel like you're like, I don't know. See how quiet it is in here right now? That's why I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. So he says that there's power that makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. He says, What a miserable person I am. You ever thought that about yourself? Like, I'm just hopeless. He says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, scripturally speaking, when we accept Jesus, what happens? The Bible says we put on a new nature. It actually says that we get a new heart, that we used to have a heart that was what? uh, In opposition to God. And he says, I will remove that heart. He's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about spiritually. Is that what? He actually says, I'm going to put a new spirit within you that's going to want something different. Because your old spirit was what? Dead. It fell with Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't have time to get into all that. But the moment they sinned, the Bible says that sin entered the world and it entered into every human being that would ever be born. Now, that's not good news, but the good news is, is what he says. Who will free me from this life? It, it, the answer is Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it goes on in, verse, or in chapter 8. We have to remember that chapters weren't in the original manuscripts. It was a letter that was written. They put it in chapter and verses so that we could identify it quicker. So, the, so this is the same thought. It's not like he came back the next day and started writing again. So he says that in my sinful nature that I'm a slave to sin, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, now there is no condemnation. There's no reason for us to feel guilty for even those areas that we may not measure up in for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It says, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, I know that's a mouthful, and I know that that may be a little hard to grasp, but what he's really saying is that, look, you have, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, you have the life of God on the inside of you, but you still have a nature living on the inside of you that actually is fighting against that. And see, many times in church and around church, we tell people, if you just get saved, everything's going to be great, everything's going to be awesome, and you're never going to face anything. And the problem is that lasts about five minutes. And then people get thrown because they're thinking, like, man, I thought my life was good. I thought Jesus was like the cure-all. I thought he fixed everything. And the answer is he does, but it's a process. And that's what I want to help you understand this morning. And, and so first and foremost, we have to understand this is that we have an enemy. We, he, his name is the devil. It's somebody who what? Wages war against our souls. Why? Because he cannot touch our spirit. Right? The psalmist wrote and said, why should I fear one who can harm my body but cannot touch my spirit? In other words, the devil could kill my body. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? I'm going to go to heaven. Darn, I lost. Right? No. I got the best upgrade ever. So, understanding that, so I have no reason to be afraid of him, but I shouldn't be clueless about him either or foolish about him. I need to understand, I have one who what? Wants to tear me down. The Bible says, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. You're like, what is the devil here to do? Three things. That's it. That's, it. That's his plan. Why? Because you remind him of Jesus. Everything that he wanted to be and is not. That's it. It's really that simple. You're like, why does he hate me so much? That's why. That, that, it really boils down to that. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He says he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say that he can, it says he's looking. He's looking for somebody who's who's susceptible. In verse 9, it goes on and says, stand firm against him. Now, let me tell you this. The Bible would not tell you to stand firm if you couldn't do it. So the fact that the word of God says gives us the instruction to stand means that we can actually stand. So anytime that we feel like, man, God, this is just coming at me and coming at me and coming at me and I don't know what to do. It just means I need to dig in my heels and just say, Father, I thank you for your ability in my life right now. Because I don't feel like I can do this. But with you, I can do all things because of Christ living on the inside of me. I can face anything that comes my way. But see, we have to have that attitude of faith that says, I'm not a quitter. I'm going to stand. Having stand, he says, stand firm against and be strong in your faith. And remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering as you are. Because here's one of the lies of the enemy that he would love to get us to buy into. Well, this is just you. You're the only one who's facing this. You're the only one who's dealing with. That's not true. It's just not true. I mean, many of us can attest to this. We're facing something, dealing with something, and we just want to deal with it privately. And then we start talking to a friend, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've been dealing with the same thing. And we're like, I didn't know. That's why we believe in relationships. That's why we believe in getting in a small group. Why? Because it's in, those, it's in a small group that you're going to start to feel normal. Like, hey, I'm not the only jacked up one around here. It's awesome. I'm in a group full of messed up people. That's why we need relationships, why they make us better. See, but what happens is that sometimes the enemy, because the devil's not going to show up at your door and go, hey, I got my tail and my pitchfork. I'm the devil. Nice to see you. No, he's not, he's not going to work like that. He's just not. But what he is going to do is he's going to try to gain the upper hand. He's going to try to get an advantage over us. Well, how does he get those advantages? Here's the primary way. A lack of understanding. A lack of understanding. And really, it's not just understanding. Understanding is not enough. But a lot of times, we don't understand how and the way God works with us. And that that throws us. But when you understand how God works, all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, there's a scripture, and it says this. Well, King James Version. There you go. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, and because you have rejected knowledge. Really, that word knowledge there is actually talking about revelation. It's not information. It's it's revelation. I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that here in a moment. That word knowledge means it's understanding, it's revelation or truth. God's word is true whether we say it's true or not. Whether you believe God's word is true for you is up to you. But this is what I know. When I get my life in line with God's word, it's amazing how things change. It's amazing how things begin to happen in my life. When truth comes and change happens and I don't have to make it happen truth comes that that light bulb moment all of a sudden that aha moment and I'm like now I get it and all of a sudden now I start walking in some freedom and I'm like all I've been waiting on all this time was not just knowing something but actually understanding it because see, you can read scripture you can hear thousands upon thousands upon thousands of messages and it doesn't mean that that truth actually penetrates your heart and produces a difference in your life We have to take what we hear and we have to apply it so that what? So that truth and that understanding can come into our heart, that it can actually begin to change us. See, our faith is not passive. It's not, well, I prayed, Jesus, you do all the work. He's done everything he can do. We have to have an active faith that says I'm going to participate in my salvation. Like I have a part to play. Like I don't know if I agree with you. Give me a few moments. Why? Because this can actually really begin to transform our entire life. And many times, Christians live well below the standard that Jesus died for them to live at. And it's not because of anything Jesus didn't do. It's actually a lack of understanding. It's a lack of of having real heart revelation. He's like, well, what's revelation? When the Bible becomes real to you. When it becomes real to you, that's when it becomes revelation. All of a sudden, it's like, I get it. And you can read a scripture over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again until one day it, it clicks, and all of a sudden you're like, that's what I need to do. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, out of the Amplified Bible, it says this, and we use this many times concerning vision, but, I'll, but I want to show you something that the Amplified Bible adds. It says, Where there is no vision, the people are understrained." Other translations say, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The Amplified Bible adds this, where there is no vision, no revelation of God or his word. No revelation of God, no revelation of his word, no understanding, no connection to God's word. Guess what? There's going to be some fallout. Why? Because you've heard the word of God, but you've not actually absorbed it into your heart so that what? So that it becomes revelation, that becomes truth, that actually begins to transform us. It's an active thing. And so we have to understand these things. And it's very simple is that information does not change us. Information alone is not enough. If you're here to get some information, okay. But let me just be honest with you. Information alone, let me say it this way. Well, I go to church every week. I take notes. Yeah, but is that information becoming revelation into your life that it will produce some truth? Why? Because truth produces results. See, I read scripture throughout the New Testament. When people came in contact with Jesus, they changed. I prayed many times to get saved. You want to know how I know when I got saved? When I began to change. And I don't mean like some effort of my own, like I just got better and more disciplined. I'm not talking about that. I mean like my desires begin to change. The things that I wanted begin to change. And all of a sudden, I begin to walk in a life and a strength that I had not known. That's when I met Jesus. And the problem is, is that we have taken church and said, that's meeting Jesus. They are not the same thing. Information alone will not change us. It's when that information becomes revelation that it has power. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the, the word of God is living. It's active. It contains power. It's breathing. But guess what? That doesn't mean just because you have a Bible on your coffee table that all of a sudden your whole household is just going to be like this utopia It's when you take that word, you begin to open it up and say, how does this apply to my life? That it begins to make all the difference. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is talking and he talks to his disciples. Now, these were people who were committed to him. These were not casual followers. But he says, if you are truly my disciples and if you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth, the revelation, will what? Will set you free. See, there are some things that when we got saved, spiritually, yes, things begin to break. But there are some things in our soul that we need to learn some things. We need to come to a place of revelation and an understanding so that what? So that God's word can begin to change us. Why? Because it's the truth of God's word that actually, what? Sets us free. It's truth. It's truth. That's why we preach the word of God. That's why I'm not just up here giving you some little pep talk. That's why I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. Why? Because you don't need to know my opinion. What you need is God's word. Why? Because God's word is truth, and that word is what will change your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The New King James Version says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed... Let me just help you out. You can't transform yourself. Just take some pressure off of you. Be transformed by the renewing, the changing of your mind. Some revelation, that's what that word really means. It means some revelation is coming to your mind so that you can discern, understand what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So we see this. You, you what? We have to be transformed by what? We have to learn to think differently. But how do we do that? By renewing our mind. We have to take these thoughts that are actually at war against what God wants in our life and we have to replace them with what God's truth says about us and what so that what when that happens, we can actually begin to understand what God's purpose is in our life. What God saved us for. You know, God didn't just save us from sin, he also saved us for something. That's why we believe in making a difference. I didn't just get saved from hell. I got saved for the glory of God. You got saved for the glory of God. Why? He's like, well, what do you mean? I mean like one of my best friends when I got saved came to me because I didn't want to tell him I got saved because I used to make fun of all the Christians. And I knew if he found out I got saved, we were done as friends. And he came to me and he's like, you're different. I'm like, really? You don't say. And he goes, you got saved, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I did. And I, and I asked him, I said, how would you know? And he said, oh, it was easy. He said, you don't talk the way you used to. You don't think the way. You don't, you don't have the same desires. I began to change, and it was noticeable. Let me just ask you, the, when was the last time that you, like, really changed? And I don't mean, like, in the natural. I don't mean, like, you got a new car. Or you painted the house. or I mean, like, your heart When was the last time that you connected with God in a way that you got convicted about something and you're like, dang, I got to do something about that? Because it's easy because we think we get saved and it's over. No, it it, it is. We are saved. Yes, there's no doubt. But God is still working. So this can be a bit confusing, so I'm going to try to help you with this as far as what God works in our life, because it's really a three, salvation is actually a threefold process. Threefold. It happens in three ways. I've already said it once, but you're going to hear it multiple times this morning, but God, it's really a past work. So on the cross, Jesus died. It, it, It is finished. His work, salvation is secure. It's a done deal, but it's also when I accepted and I surrendered my heart to Jesus, guess what? I was saved, but you know what? There's also a present work that's happening. God is still working in my life. I've been serving the Lord over 20 years. And my goal is to never stop pressing into what God wants for me. I, I always want to be more and more and more. Paul said, until I'm conformed into the image of Christ, God is what? He's molding me. He's shaping me to be more like him. That's his goal for all of us. But there's also a future work. So you can say it this way is that God is at work in our past, our present, and our future. God is already working on your tomorrow. That's why the Bible says don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. God is at work in my past. That's why I can say I have no condemnation. God is at work in my present. So even when I screw up, that's why I can say I'm not guilty. It's not that I'm abusing the grace of God, but I have an understanding of God's word that he loves me so much that the the power of the blood that was shed for me is so powerful. It not only covers all of my past sins, all of my present sins, but it also can cover all of my sin in the future. That's powerful if you can catch it. Why? Because now I no longer feel guilty when I mess up. What I say is, man, I missed it and I need to be better and I want to move forward. Father, I'm sorry that I screwed up, but you know what? I think that your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is enough for me. Even in the midst of my mess, you are working in me and it's not over. You're not going to call it quits. You're not going to throw in the towel on me. Oh, that's it. I'm done. You hit that magical one too many times, Mark, whatever that even is. But the devil would love for us to what? Believe that. Oh, you did it again. You lying dog, you did it again. Caught you. God's done with you. Do you really think that God would quit on you now? No, he doesn't. Not even close. So this is what this actually looks like. Because I'm talking about these three parts. So we are saved. If you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, now that surrender is important. I didn't say pray a prayer. I mean surrender. That means really means to yield, to give way. So we are saved in our spirit, man. That's salvation that we understand it many times. <clears throat> we are being saved in our souls, our mind, our wills, our emotions. That's what Romans 2 was talking about. We have to renew our mind. That's in the present. And we will be saved in our body. That's in the future. You wonder why we deal with sickness. You wonder, like, well, I thought Jesus died so that we could be healed. He did. But until he returns, there will always be sickness and disease in the earth. Now, the Bible says that we are the healed of the Lord. We can, but that requires some revelation as to what the Bible talks about concerning physical healing. And, and so, but, but we have to understand these things. And so I want to break these down in the next few minutes here with you. And so this first one is, we are saved. Now here's a couple words. Some of these are more technical, biblical terms. But one of them is called being justified. You're like, what does that mean? Justified means this. When a judge takes his gavel and drops it and says, not guilty. That means you've been justified. Well, that's how, if you've accepted Christ, guess what? That's how God looks at you right now. Not guilty. So, justification righteousness like i'm not sure what that means god ain't mad at you righteousness means he ain't got a checklist or, or he's keeping score saying i'm just waiting just waiting nope the bible says i am now the righteousness of god in christ now now doesn't mean that experientially, that's always the way. Another uh, term for this is also regeneration. That's that's that new heart that the Bible talks about. It says, I will take out that heart of stone and I will put in a heart of flesh. And and so we understand these things. It's also the forgiveness of sins. That's what being saved is about. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for it. Why? Because it wasn't yours to do. Salvation is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it no one will be able to stand before god and say i'm here because of me like god i did this no you didn't jesus did it and we get to stand in what he did that's righteousness i didn't earn it i don't deserve it but i thank god i get to experience it verse 10 says for we are god's masterpiece he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good works. Make a difference. So that we can do the good works. Make a difference. Do the good works. We, we, what? We're saved to make a difference. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, going to verse 19. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Praise the Lord. Anybody else thankful for that one? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Make a difference. That's why we talk about that. Why? Because that's what you you got saved to make a difference. goes on in verse 19, it says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he has given us the wonderful message of reconciliation. You're like, what does all that mean? It means you get to go tell people God ain't mad at you. He took out his wrath on Christ, on the cross, and he paid the price for sin and for death for all of us. Most people, many people think God is ticked off at me, and he's just waiting for a moment That's why you hear people say things like, well, you just never know what God might do. Man, that hurricane came through, man. It just robbed me of everything. I don't know. God just must, must be teaching me something. How crazy is that? That's a lie of the enemy. Why? Because the Bible says that God does good and only that which is good. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you could have life and have it to its fullest potential. So it's when in the areas of your spirit man you've been saved it's a fixed done deal. You don't have to worry or wonder like oh man what happens if you know let me just say this. Some people say well, can you lose your salvation? That's a pretty good question. Cuz some people say yes and some people don't say no. Here's the truth. I can't tell you if somebody's saved or if they're not. I'm not the judge. And neither are you. Because somebody can play the part and be as ungodly as they want to be in their heart. I'm glad I'm not the judge. I'm glad that I serve a God who is merciful. Full of mercy and abounding in love. Why? Because I need it. I can't speak for you, but I need it. And so we have to understand, though, is that we don't have to be nervous. Go around every corner like, oh, man, am I going to screw up? Am I going to lose my salvation? No, the Bible says that your spirit, man, if you've, if you've really surrendered your heart to the Lord, and I say if because everybody here is saved. We live in the South, and we live in the, the Bible Belt. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. How do you know? The Bible says you have to, what, confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. You've got to surrender. And if you haven't done that and meant it from your heart, you are not saved. And the enemy would love for you to live in La La Land thinking, Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Why? You may need to answer that question for yourself. Why? Because if somebody asks me why I'm saved, I can tell you. Because Jesus died for me, and I have accepted what he did for me, and I am forgiven because of his blood, not my own. And the Bible says that now I'm part of the family. It has nothing to do with me, it just has to do with what I've received, and I'm not special. I'm just a human being like you that just said yes to Jesus. That's it. That's all it takes. The second part is this, is that we are being saved. We are in the process of salvation, actually working in our lives. The Bible, the biblical term for this would be sanctification, holiness. We don't like to talk about that much in church anymore a lot of the times because people don't like to talk about it. Why? Because it means we actually have to do something. We just like saying Jesus died on the cross for me and I just ain't got doing no. it. Well, the Bible, you need to go look up this word and, and look how much in the New Testament is there. This is the process. This is the ongoing salvation that's working in our hearts and in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. It says, But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. I thought I was saved. You are. Eternally, yes. But your natural experience, you are being saved. You're in process. God is working on all of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 says, This is why we never give up, though our bodies are dying. I know that's not the best news, but the moment you were born, your body began to die. If you don't believe me, you lose skin every day. It's the process of death that happens every day. I'm not a scientist, but I know that much. It's kind of gross when you think about it. But. but it says that what? Our bodies are dying, but our spirits are being renewed. What? They're being saved. They're being saved every day. It's really talking about your soul there. It says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. We're going to have some things. We're going to face some stuff in our life. But it says that even though our outer man is what? It's decaying. Our inner man, our, 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 our soul is what? Being renewed day after day after day. This is such a powerful verse. When the Lord first began to, to show me this many years ago, this was the verse that really spawned really this thought. And year, for years I wrestled with it. Because I'd always been told, once you get saved, you're good. Once you're saved, you're good. But yet I went to the word of God and I found something that said a a little something different. And I thought, what am I going to do with that? In Philippians chapter 2, it says, dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. You're like, wait a second. I thought we weren't saved for works. We're not. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is make sure you're changing so people can see that you are saved. People shouldn't see you in 10 years from today and say, you're the same person you've always been. They ought to say, man, you look different. Praise God, I hope I do. I hope so. He says, what? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Another translation would say it this way, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What that actually means is to work salvation into every aspect of your life. Work it into your life. Work it into your life. How do you do that? By renewing your mind. you got to take God's word and replace those thoughts that what violate God's standards. You have to renew your mind. So he says, work out your salvation, obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. Not in a, I'm afraid of you kind of way, but you are God and I am not, so I'm going to live by your standard. That's really what reverence would look like. He says in verse 13, he says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's not asking us to what? Become sanctified in our own ability. What he's saying is if you will learn to connect with me and to cooperate with me, I'm going to give you the ability, the strength, and the power to what? Become sanctified. It's a process that will not conclude until we go to heaven. It's an ongoing process. That happens. But it's not in and of ourselves. God gives us the desire and the power to do it. This last one is this. Is I will be saved. This is glorification. This is why as Christians. When we go to a funeral. The Bible says we don't mourn or grieve. Like those who don't know God. Why? Because we know it's not the end of the story. I have family members who would crawl in a casket. This is true, who would crawl in the the casket of someone who has passed away because they believe that's the end of the story. They believe it's over right there in that moment, and I witnessed it. My great-grandmother's funeral because they thought that's it. They have no understanding of, of eternity and glorification, none. And yet the Bible talks about it quite often, talks about it quite a bit. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. He says, wake up, for your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Now, wait a second. I thought Jesus already died. He did. What's he talking about? The return of Christ. Why? Because that's the, the, the Bible actually says we have a down payment a percentage of our full salvation. We don't have all of it yet. We have the down payment on what God is going to do, but when Christ returns, the Bible says it will be in full. It actually says, well, I don't have time to get off my notes cuz I'm already running late. Let's stick to the plan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4. It says, "While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh." But it's not that we want to die or get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. That's that's what's going to happen. We're going to drop off this flesh body. And the Bible says we're going to put on what a new body. That's what? Like Christ's body. It's a glorified body. So, I will be like, I don't have that yet. Guess what? We've done a lot of work around here. I've been crawling around in the attics. And guess what? I woke up the other day and I was like, oh, Lord, I'm sore. I ain't done this in a little while. I'm a little sore. Guess what? That's my body saying, hey, Joker, slow down. We have aches and creaks. And the older I get, the more I feel them and the more current or more closely they come together. Well, why is that? Why? Because this body is still falling. This body is waiting to be redeemed. Now, the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that Christ will, what, come back. And it says that those who are on earth will, what, they will ascend into heaven. And guess what? Their spiritual body and their natural body are going to collide. And what's going to happen? That spiritual body is going to consume that natural body, and it will become a glorified body in a moment. I ain't got a glorified body yet. I don't know about you, but I I believe what the Bible says. And I'm going to get a new body that, what? It ain't got no aches and creaks and pops and all that good stuff. All right? So we're still waiting for that to happen. First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 3 through 5, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that you have been born again because God raised Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. If I'm saved, which it just said, I've been born again, what am I waiting for? I have, it, I have salvation, yes, but I am also being saved, but I'm still waiting on something, too. He says, We now live with great anticipation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. You have a, a, a heavenly body, and guess what? We will be saved. Let me say this You will be saved at, at this moment, spirit, soul, and body. See, we haven't received all of salvation yet. And it says, uh, so it says that it will be out of the reach of change and decay. Verse 5 says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation. Well, what's he talking about? The Bible talks about the resurrection of the dead. That's really what he's talking about. We're still waiting for that. He said, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You're like, man, this is a lot of info. Yes, it is, and I realize that. But if you can grab hold of what I'm telling you, you'll actually begin to understand how God is working. You'll actually give yourself a little bit more grace. Why? Because God is not looking for perfection. God is not looking for you to never make a mistake. What he's looking for is for you to be honest before him and acknowledge your need for him. Even beyond just saying, "I, i I give you my heart. I surrender my heart to you. Yeah, but what about today? I got saved 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. And I still have to surrender my heart daily. It's a choice. I have to choose to do it. It's it's totally up to me to do this. We all have to decide these, these things. Philippians chapter one, verse six. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, I am certain that God who began a good work in you will continue his work, continue that being saved, who began with salvation until it is finally finished on the day that Christ returns, that salvation that we're waiting on. That's actually a verse. That's one verse that actually speaks to all three. It took me a long time to find these verses, by the way, just so you know. i spent weeks finding these verses, that verse right there. It's not easy to find because I'm like, I know it's in there somewhere. I did all the Googling I could do, calling people. To, I'm like, I know there's a scripture. It's right there. You're welcome, by the way. You're welcome. I am certain that God who began, your spirit man got saved, will continue. Your soul is being renewed. It's being, it's being saved. His work until finally, until it is finally finished. Salvation will be complete. I am, I'm being, and I will be. Do you see that? That'll help you to understand, like, and not get so frustrated. You don't quit. You're just like, God, I just understand. I'm, I'm, I'm under construction. You're working on me. You're working on me. You're working with me. You're giving me the desire. doesn't mean I'm perfect, but God, man, just help me, help me, help me. Man, that's how we ought to live our life. God, I need you today. Any day that you think you don't need God is the day you need Him the most. We ought to live dependent upon Him. Let me read you one last passage of Scripture and we'll wrap up. Romans chapter 7 verse 4, he says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You have died to the power of the law. That's the Ten Commandments. The power of the law when you died with Christ, that's salvation, initial salvation. It says, and now you're not united with him as one who has been raised from the dead. That's still initial salvation. As a result, you can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. That's making a difference. It says, when you are controlled by your old nature, because see, there's, there's, depending on your background, you'll be told, oh, well, that old nature has just been dead. He'll die every time you kill him. But you know what? He's going to rear his head back up, and you're going to have to kill him again. He's going to rear his head back up, and you're to have to kill him again. Why? Because he's at work in you. It's just the truth. I, I just, I just want to be honest with you. I don't want you to feel like, you never told me the truth. No. This old man has to be put to death over and over and over again. That's in that soulless realm. He says, so when you were controlled by your sinful nature, says sinful desires were at work within us. And the law arouses these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds and resulting in death. In verse 6, but now, game changer right there. But now, but now, but now, we have been released from the law. That's the power of sin in our life. For we have died to it and are no longer captive to its power. We can now serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Another way to say it is by living, living by the Spirit. We don't live. So here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Sin does not have to dominate your life. Now, that's a real popular word, but it is truth. And if I don't call sin, sin, guess what? It's not truth. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It will change your life. It will change your experience in your your walk with the Lord. And the reality is, and I don't care how holy anybody is in this room, we all have sin in our life at some level, some degree. But it's just as it says here, is that we can live a new life. That, That power of sin has been broken because of what Christ did on the cross. Now, we have to enforce that power in our life. That's part of that being saved. And one day, we won't have to enforce it. Why? Because the Bible says we will receive the full payment of our salvation. But in the meantime, in the in-between, in the process, from Jesus rising from the dead to Jesus returning, that's where we are. What do we do? We enforce what he did in our lives. We do that by renewing our mind. We do that by understanding. So, So give yourself some grace. Don't be so frustrated when you screw up. Just say, I thank God that Jesus Christ is still on the throne and he's still praying for me. He still loves me. He still believes in me because the enemy's going to come and try to heap guilt and condemnation and convince you that you're the broken one. You're too much. The grace of God is not enough for you. It's just not true. That's a lie. His grace is more than enough. And the Bible says his mercy and his grace is new every day for us. So God doesn't keep a scorecard from yesterday. Today's a new day. And he says, clean slate. Let's keep moving forward. I'm going to put this up on the screen, but it, and this really has to do with, with sin and how it relates in our life. But And it goes into the, I am, I'm being, and I will be. It says, I was saved, I was in the past, I was saved from the penalty of sin. God does not call us guilty any longer. That's what that means. I'm not guilty before God. I was saved in the past from the, from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. Sin has no power in my life unless I give it to it. Now, I can allow sin in my life if I want to. You can too. We all can. We, we are free agents. We can, we, have, we can make any decision we want, but I don't have to. Why? Because I'm being saved from the power of sin. And the, the more I walk with the Lord, the more what, that, that revelation begins to come, the, the less and less and less of the power of sin is in my life. So I'm being saved from the power of sin. And lastly, I will be saved. You will be saved from the presence of sin. Guess what? In heaven, there is no sin, there is no struggle, there is no fight. Why? Because the presence of sin will be gone. Right now, we live in a fallen world. Why do bad things happen? Because we live in a fallen world, and Satan is still the God of this world. That's what the Bible says. So I've been saved. You've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved by the power, or from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. Aren't you glad that you're saved, though? Aren't you glad that you're part of the family of God, that, that what Christ has done for us is enough, that I'm not waiting to try to get something from? No, it's available. And all I have to do, all you have to do is to what? Just keep walking with him keep getting into the word of God, keep applying his word to your life. And guess what? That revelation is going to begin to come. That truth is going to continue to set you free time after time after time. And guess what? God's going to work in your life. Why? Because he's faithful. The one who called you and started the work, he's going to be faithful to finish the work. He doesn't leave projects half undone. He makes sure they're completed all the way to his glory. That's who we're called to be. That's why we were saved. Why? So that people can see us and say only God could do that. Only God could change you like that. I know who you were and there's no way that you could have changed. Only God could do that. And he receives all glory and he receives all honor. Why? Because we have been transformed by the Spirit of God. This is God's plan. This is the way God works. And if we understand that this is how God works, it will help us to what walk in the salvation that we have been called to. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?